0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. So I bring good news. Yay? Tidings of good news I bring you, Amen, Amen. John chapter three verse sixteen. Let's begin there. We know this verse, don't we? When I was a kid growing up, I used to watch, uh, I used to love to watch John Elway play on Monday night football and uh, the NFL football games and whatnot. <laughs> we got a Chiefs fan over here, everybody. <laughs> All right, and there was always this one guy in the uh, in the in the end zone, right between the uprights, holding a sign up that said John 3.16. I think it was Ron, actually. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't even know it. Our paths would come together. John 3.16. Well, why John 3.16 of all verses to hold up? Come on, you know it. You love it. You know this verse from Sunday school, don't you? If you went to Sunday school. You ever notice how uh, in school, Sunday school, they try to teach the kids the Ten Commandments? It's really a struggle to get them to remember all ten. But John 3.16, where they get that one, right? I think it might be because uh, something in our spirit agrees with it. Let's just read it, shall we? This is our good news. Come on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes, they do what? Yeah. Believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I love this, and it's perfect just the way that it's written there. But I actually, the way that uh, uh, some translations translate that, and which is my favorite, but I read it this way because this is the way that we all know it, but it actually says, and maybe a more accurate to the Greek would be to say, for this is how God loved the world that he gave. He so loved see, we in our culture thinking, um he so loved, that means his heart was so welled up with emotion, right? But it's actually more than that. He this is how he loved the world, right? Suggests an action. This is how God loved the world. So much so that he did something about it, right? Now, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. More good news, more good news. Come on, let's keep it coming. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. We know famously Romans chapter chapter 8 for you students of the Word. Why do we know this one? Because I said good news, right? There is, therefore, now, somebody say it with me, no condemnation. Doesn't that feel good? Well, that feels good feels good to me. I'll, remember, I'll never forget when I was truly, for the first time as a young man, began to grasp the gospel for myself and realize that, you know, a lot of times I'm actually being harder on myself than God the Father and Jesus Christ are being on me, considering the lens through which he looks at me, which is the righteousness of Christ now. So to read that, boy, that's good news. There is now No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit, of the life in Christ Jesus, has made me, what? Free. Not just free in general, but free from the law of sin and death. Do you know what the law of sin and death is, guys? It's the the nature of this world. It's the nature of this flesh. It's the general understanding that if I work for two weeks for somebody at a company, right, what do I expect at the end of that two weeks? Paycheck, right? If they don't have my money, we're going to have some problems, right? Or if that check bounces, right, we're going to have some problems, right? I'll have to have a little, little chat. Because we understand I work good, I do good, I get good. That is the law Of the land, of the flesh. Therefore, if I do sin, which in the Greek simply means to miss the mark, by the way. That word has taken on so many connotations and inferences of meaning that it's become a thing, right? But it really just means there's a standard and you didn't meet it. You missed the mark, okay? So the law of missing the mark means no reward, death, sin, death, right? Right? Not righteous death, in other words. So do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. That's the law of sin and death. And guess what? You're free from that now. Because you know what? Before you did... De- well, guess what you deserve? Bring the Sunday school class back in here. We've got to pass this one on to the next generation, right? What do you deserve? Death. Nothing. The old folks in every generation are always complaining about the younger generation being entitled, right? I think generally because it's true <laughs> throughout history, honestly. That's why you get the cycles of apostasy in godly nations. Oh boy. We're free. We're free from the law of sin and death. One more Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. This is. This is this is good news. For by, what's that word? Grace. Grace. You have been saved through, and that not of yourselves, and this is, this might be, we love the first part of this verse, but the second, back half of this verse may be the most important part, okay? And that, what? Not of yourself. Do you get that? You don't get any credit for this, guys. Doesn't that go hand in hand with what we were just saying? What do you deserve? Nothing. But guess what? He gave you everything. Before you earned it, before you deserved it, he gave you that paycheck. It is what? A gift from God. Now, if somebody gives me a gift and they say, oh, I'm so glad you like it. Now, I need you to do this for me. Is that a gift anymore? Not in my book. A gift is given freely without anything expected in return. Careful now, Pastor Chad, because there are some instructions for living that will get there, all right? Just give me some, give me a little, give me enough rope to hang myself, all right? That word grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That word grace in, uh, in the uh, Greek is the word... Uh, uh, it's, it sounds, when you say it, when you say it, it's like hadith, right? But it's spelled with a C-H-A-R-S. It looks like Cheris, but it's hadith when you say it. Do you know what that word means? It means God is extending himself towards you. He's extending himself towards you. And I always get this visual, so you've seen me do it a hundred times, right? But I love to do it. I think of God... On a plane dimensionally beyond our limit, limitations here on terrestrial earth, right? And he reaches down to us to give us a hand and lift us up out of the miry clay with which of which David spoke of, right? He extends himself in His righteousness, in His heavenly plane, in His perfection, down to us who deserve nothing in our sin, in our, in our failings to achieve the standard of righteousness, He comes to us. It's the only religion in the world that paints God in that light. Every other religion, first of all, can, be, can trace its roots all the way back to pagan Babylon. So in essence, every other world religion, in a sense, is satanic and therefore is a form of satanism. That's not a very popular message today, but it's the truth. It's the only religion in the world where God comes to you rather than you trying to appease a disappointed and angry God. This is our God seeing us in our fallen state knowing the end from the beginning, as a matter of fact, knew that we would fall and fail and miss the mark before he even made us, and knew what it would cost to bring us back into a place of good covenant, still thought you were worth creating, so created you, saw you fail, and then still left his place to reach down to you and pull you up and lift you up. And that is grace. God extending himself to you, saved through faith. Well, faith, okay, so that's, I, I, I'm. De- aren't I doing something, though, when I have faith in something, when I believe in something? Aren't I doing that, though? So isn't that kind of a work? No, listen to Paul, not of yourself. Stop trying to get credit here, guys. I'm getting tired of it. Even that is not a work. It is a gift from God. This is good news, church, isn't it? You know, in uh, Genesis chapter 15, God makes uh, Abraham this wonderful promise. He shows him the stars of the heaven, which, by the way, record modern-day folks, they say, oh, the zodiac, and what's your sign, and what's my sign, and this and that, and you know, maybe we should get married because our signs match, right, or whatever. What's tomorrow? What's my week going to be like? What's my sign say, right? This, that little wheel in the sky was put there by God. And yes, it's real, but it's not a zodiac. It's called a meseroth. And guess what? It tells a story of a virgin in the sky that would give birth to a, a man-child. A dragon would try to eat him, but he would be snatched up. And it's this beautiful story of the of the virgin birth and who Jesus is. And of course, those... Lousy pagans just tried to steal it. because so that's all Satan does. He, tries to, he can't create anything, so he's got to try to steal everything and lie to everybody, right? Well, God brings Abraham out of the tent, and he says, look at that story. That's the story of the Messiah. We, we all understand here that Adam fell, and covenant is broken. Sin and death have entered the world. But guess what? That's the story of how I'm going to redeem the world. And through you, Abraham, through you... It's going to happen. So do you want to make a deal? You you agree to this, Abraham? And Abraham's like, sure, yeah, sign me up. Where do I sign? And God just put him to sleep. Literally, he puts him into a deep sleep, and he does a ceremonial... uh, uh, They would do a little... Whenever anybody made a ceremony, they would... Or made an agreement, a covenant, they would do a little ceremony and they would carve up an animal and all this stuff in half and equal halves and whatnot. And basically, you do this ceremony. You walk a figure eight around it, and you basically, it would say, look, if I fail on my end of this bargain, that's what's going to happen to me there, all chopped up on the ground, right? So God, God puts Abraham to sleep and then does both sides of that ceremony. What does that tell you? He took responsibility for both sides of the agreement, not of yourself. Do you understand that? This is good news, right? I told you I had good news this morning. Whoever believes, do you know what this means, guys? Do you? Seriously, could you tell me? I don't know. I'm wondering. This means we're saved. This means that we are saved, unless, unless, unless you don't believe. And, or maybe you don't think that you need to be saved. Oh, thanks, brother. Maybe you don't think that you need to be saved. Oh, she's looking out for me. (laughs) But we'll get to that in a minute. For now, though, let's just stay with the good news, okay? Okay. This, this feels good this morning, doesn't it? It feels good to me. It feels good to finally be getting some good news these days, doesn't it? <laughs> so how do we get this gift again? How do we get it? Believe, right? Right. Good. Good. Well, let, let's, let's just take it another step further. Let's look at some more Scripture, because I like the way this is going, okay? Our first Scripture was Jesus. Let's see what else He has to say about it, okay? Shall we? Luke chapter 5, verse 31 through 32. Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, verse 32, I have come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay. So he came. uh, John 3.16. What did he do? He came, you know, to give everlasting life so we wouldn't perish. And now we see he's, he's come to bring sinners repentance. Okay? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying. What do he say? Repent. For the kingdom, of, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so repent and repent. So believe, repent, salvation. What about John the Baptist? He's pretty famous. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. What did John the Baptist say? Did he say anything about this? Let's read. He said, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let me just say this as a footnote. The gospel right there, if you look at that word in the Greek, it just means good tidings, okay? Good tidings. Uh, We spent eight weeks talking about false teachers, wolves that will rise up among you, and many of them are preaching... Paul would call them uh, uh, demonic gospels, right? But you get this idea that basically a gospel is a, is a pattern to salvation, right? Or a, somebody gives you a way to follow, in other words, right? Talk about Paul's gospel. Some of other false teachers get into talking about Peter's gospel, this gospel, that gospel, all these different gospels. Gospel just means good news. And what is the good news? Well, We just read about it, didn't we? Well, here we are in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and John the Baptist is saying, repent and believe, repent and believe, eternal life. Believe in the gospel, believe in the good news, the truth. How about Peter? We, we know Peter was the rock that the church was built on, right? So he probably has some good things to say about this too. Let's, what does re- Peter have to say about it? Let's go to famous uh, uh, Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came down, we know that scripture pretty well in the church. Let's read verse thirty-eight. Peter replied, and what did he say? Repent and be baptized. That word in the Greek just means submerged, by the way. Like you submerge a pickle in a pickle jar is actually the that's actually the example that the lexicon gave. Submerged, but submerged initiated the first church would initiate members, a public profession of faith, exactly like what we do now, okay? So don't get confused and think that he's attaching baptism as a condition to be saved. It's just baptism was something they did as a public profession of faith. Nothing has changed since then, okay? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, I'm starting to think that I might need to repent, believe, repent, repent, believe, saved. You following me? Okay. Today we're doing, um, we're, we're going to do some foundational teaching, okay? We're going to do some foundational uh, teaching, Uh, We have covered some of this stuff uh, a couple years ago, okay? And I personally think it's the perfect time to revisit it. Spring is here, right? Today's the day we're all a little bit tired because we lost an hour of sleep, but guess what? Come sunset, we're all going to be glad for it, amen? Spring is a time of new beginnings. Actually, next Sunday is the first day of spring. You guys like new beginnings? Yeah? Of course we do. Let me ask you this. What is it you think of when I say the word repent? What do you think of? I would bet that most of us think of being sorry. Sorry. Regret, right? I repent. I go to church. I feel really guilty. I get up to the altar and I repent, right? Why? Because I'm sorry. Sorry because that's what our culture has taught us by and large in the church, okay? To be sorry. Aren't, aren't there a million old-school pastors that are always trying to get people up to the altar to repent from their sins, to be sorry for their sins, especially in the Pentecostal circles, right? Finally, people are sorry, but guess what? When they're sorry about their sin, they might even bawl about it at the altar. There's still no, no victory in their life is the weak passes on as they go back to their normal routine. There's still no victory in their life. They're still struggling with that sin. They're still struggling with wanting that sin. Look, I've known people in my life who were really sorry, they, and they meant it. But They were sorry, all right, but they were sorry that they got caught, right? As a matter of fact, dictionary.com tells us what the word repent means. We don't even need to guess what the word repent means means, let's just read what it means, all right? It means to feel sorry, self-reproachful, or contrite for past conduct, regret, or to be conscience-stricken about a past action or attitude, often followed, often followed by of he repented after his thoughtless act, to feel such sorrow for sin or fault as to be disposed to change one's life for the better, To be penitent. Essentially, what is being taught in these cases, church, is that sorrow must be a precondition of salvation. Is that what you read in those scriptures that we read early on? That doesn't sound like good news to me. I'm just going to be honest with you. All right, here's salvation. Jesus paid it all, but you better feel bad about it. Doesn't sound like good news. The reality is this: okay, the Greek word for repent is this. Can we see it? The Greek word for this is metanoia. Metanoia. To change one's mind. You get that? To change one's mind for the better, and you can use this word in any context. It's just a Greek word to change your mind. I changed. You know. You know. I thought. Uh, You know, Ron thought, you know, the Chiefs were going to win the Super Bowl, but, you know, towards the end of the fourth quarter, he changed his mind, right? Oh, (laughs) salt in the wound. Salt. It just popped in there, Ron. I'm sorry. You would never do that to me, I know. To change one's mind, though. To change one's mind. It means to change your perspective, guys. It means to change the way you think. Come on now you got to get this with me, okay? That means literally one minute I did not believe in Jesus, right? One minute I'm a man. I do not believe in Jesus. I didn't believe that he was God. I didn't—I I might not have even believed that I needed a Savior. I might have been over here thinking, you know, I'm a pretty good guy, you know? I'm no worse than the next guy, My context is measuring up to other people around me, not measuring up to a holy God, right? So I think I'm doing pretty good. I mean, at least I'm not that guy, right, or gal. So I think I'm doing pretty good. I don't believe that Jesus was God. Don't believe I need a Savior. Don't believe that He died on the cross for my sins and everything like that. And then the next minute, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of my heart and my mind and my spirit and reveal something to me, and I guess guess what happens to me? I changed my mind. Like that. The next minute, I changed my mind. I do believe that he is who this Bible says he is. I do believe he is God. I recognize that I fall short of holiness and I'm in in tough shape. I need help. I need a savior. I have literally changed my mind. (sighs) Peter, Jesus, and John, here's what we need to get, guys. Peter, Jesus, and John weren't asking people to be sorry. We've got to get that in our heads, okay? Okay? They weren't asking people to be sorry. It's not about that at all, as a matter of fact. Guilt and regret, you know, they can be an after effect of seeing the truth for the first time, but that's not what is in view here. When I change my mind, all of a sudden i might realize how wrong I am about many other things and that I'm living my life in a way that maybe I shouldn't be and this and that, and I feel guilty about this and that. Right, but that's not repenting. It may be something that follows after repenting, but repenting is simple. Change your mind. I've got a breakdown for you guys on that Greek word. Can we see that? Let's break it. I'm going I'm to thoroughly take this thing apart for you guys today, if you can even read it. this small text. Maybe you need to screenshot it. I don't know. I'll read it to you, though, right? The Greek... The the word is Greek, metanio, all right? And it is made up of two words. We're taking Greek this morning. Meta and nous. Meta means after or change. And nous is the Greek word for mind, all right? After, change, mind. The word means after mind and signifies a change of mind, thinking one way, but then afterwards, thinking another, it is the opposite of pr- uh, pronoia, or pronous, which means before mind, the mind or thinking you have before. Interestingly, there is another Greek word we frequently use in the English, in English that is related to metanoia. Do you know what it is? It is paranoia, paranous. Literally, the word means to be beside-minded, or we would say out of your mind, right? So whenever you're telling someone they're paranoid, you're saying, you are out of your mind. Or beside yourself. Paranoia is not being in a right mind, but having a mind that is off-center, and that's really all it means. That is... Not where it should be. If you compare metanoia with paranoia together, you get the idea of what the New Testament call for metanoia is. So, the New Testament call for metanoia, you get an idea of what it is. It is the command to change your mind, and other, in other words, get it where it needs to be. It's beautiful and simple. Of course metanoia when used as a command change your mind needs uh, supplementation by context it needs to be filled with more information because we need to know what we are supposed to change our mind about right context for it it is not restricted like the word repentance okay to narrow the to a narrow meaning of pain and sorrow for sin which is the english word repentance which we then have to force unnaturally to fit with the gospel that is free. It is a change of mind unto the gospel itself. The gospel is what the change of mind is about. The preaching of Jesus and the apostles speaks to the noose, and men change or don't change their mind as they hear it preached. When a man changes his mind at the preaching of the gospel, he has experienced metanoia. We have to overcome the past traditions of, of how this has been taught to the church for literally hundreds of years. At least 150 years in this country. Maybe 200 years. Repentance is metanoia, and it is the shifting of your mind at the hearing of the gospel. Hmm. When he changed his mind to believe, he, be, he both, when he changed his mind to believe, get this, he both repented, because he changed his mind, and believed at the same time. Repentance and belief are not two different things that you do to get saved. They are two sides of the same coin. Hmm, Faith is in view here as well. Because in that moment, You have faith when you didn't. You change your mind, you believe and have faith all in that same moment. It's huge. Faith is in view because the context for the mind change is that Jesus needed to save you. That's the context. He needed to save you and he offers that salvation freely to all who accept the gift and trust him to secure their future for eternity. That's all. That's it. That's what it's all about. It is simple, and it is beautiful. Woo! Come on! I'm going to jump up and down. (laughs) It's simple, and it's beautiful, church. Guess what? It's so simple that Jesus said a child can understand it. Let me tell you this. If you start getting into some teachings, and there's a million of different people that want to be famous teachers on YouTube. You start getting into some teachings... That start putting a yoke on you and making it hard to understand or harder to accomplish, you throw it off because it's wrong. It's simple. It's beautiful. Jesus said, my, my yoke is light. My burden is easy. I might be getting that backwards. You get the idea. right? This is supposed to be simple, guys. He didn't come to put a burden on you. He came to set you free. Don't let anyone, anyone, anyone... We just got done with Jude, right? With Jude in view, don't let anyone make it harder than it is. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, he wrote, Beware! I'm keeping you guys busy. We're bouncing around today. Look, for eight weeks, we went chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so i got to keep you on your toes, all right? Beware lest anyone cheat you. And I love the way that he says it, because that's really what it is, and that's really what they're doing. Don't let anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. That's what it is. It's deceitful and it is empty. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, principles of the world, and not according to Christ. You know the the backdrop of this scripture. I love it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. He's saying, don't let anyone rob you. Look, it's simple. Don't let anyone rob you. And how do we know that? Because the background, the context for this scripture here in Colossians Paul was writing to warn the Colossians of bad Gnostic teaching that was infecting the church. Bad Gnostic teaching infecting the church. And it's no different today. It isn't. Do you know that every false teaching... Give me a false teaching that's being propagated in the church. Give it to me and give me 20 minutes. I will draw a line back 2,000 years to the Gnostics in Alexandria, Egypt, or into Babylon Every bad teaching that's being propagated and preached from pulpits today, you can draw it straight back there. And Paul is talking about the same things back there when he says, don't let anyone rob you. Don't let anyone say that it is your faith plus your works to get salvation. Don't let anyone, through their vain deceit, rob you or cheat you. It's beautiful. It's simple. These, these people, can, they confuse people. They riddle them with Guilt. These teachings make people easier to control because somehow, if I can get you to think that you need to do something to secure your salvation and I'm the one with the answers and I'm the one who can tell you what to do, now you need me, don't you? And that's how cults start. It's it's really that simple. That's really that basic. In some cases, these false teachers even convince many that they don't need saving. You don't need saving at all. And that... You know, to be honest with you, that is really the only time, unfortunately, it's the only time where guilt and, and regret are beneficial. You know, guilt is a gift from God. Did you know that? It's an emotion. Did you, regret is a gift from God. It's an emotion. Every emotion is a gift from God. Why? Because every emotion that you have causes you to take an action. It inspires you to do something to change it if you're not—even bad emotions— if you're happy about something, having a happy emotion, you just want to do, keep doing what you're doing to keep it coming, right? If you're, uh, uh, if you're mad, you're sad, whatever, you want to change whatever you need to change so it doesn't happen again, right? Well, this is the one case, this is the one circumstance where guilt and regret are a good thing because it should cause us, it could be the catalyst that helps us to make a decision and to change our mind. C.S. Lewis said this i got some Lewis for you in this uh, message. He said, when you know you are sick, you'll listen to the doctor. It's when you have realized that our position is nearly desperate, you will begin to understand what the Christians are talking about. One of my favorite quotes of his. But it's when you realized, church, when you know you're sick, Look, I don't. Does anybody in here like to go to the doctor? Raise your hand. We're going to get you some mental health (laughs) help, okay? Nobody likes to go to the doctor. I'm not going to the doctor if I don't have to go to the doctor. Are you kidding me? You know when I'll go to the doctor? When I know I need to go to the doctor. That's about it. But a moment before that, it's no different. It's no different. If I don't know that I need saving, if I don't, and I've got bad teaching telling me, hey, guess what? Come as you are, stay how you are, you're good, because Jesus made it up and there's no reason. Just ignore the Holy Spirit's leading in your heart, okay? Right? Hmm. So you see, repentance looks like this. Can I see this next graphic? Repentance looks like this in a moment. Heart and mind is changed. It's one and the same, two sides of the same coin, right? Mind and heart changed right there. In the moment you shift, in the moment you met denial, your heart and mind are changed. Then action comes. Not before, not as a condition of your salvation, after. After. It has nothing to do with guilt. It has nothing to do with sorry. Sorry and guilt can only, if anything, be a catalyst to helping you shift your perspective and change your mind. When you change your mind and let Jesus into your heart, he will then, then change your heart. You understand? What do they say? Putting the cart before the horse? Like half the church, the legalistic church has been putting the cart before the horse. You know, we, uh, Amber and I, when we were uh, coming up in ministry, started leading worship and whatnot, we're talking about like probably 12 years ago, somebody from Teen Challenge came and spoke at the church that we were a part of. And it was a wonderful, wonderful uh, display of what they're doing to help kids who are uh, addicted to substances and everything else. And such great work Teen Challenge does. Uh, but the most powerful thing that he said, stuck with me ever since. He said, we don't try to change behaviors at Teen Challenge. We try to change the heart. Because if you change the heart, I, I don't even need to talk about, give me a list of all the behaviors you want to change, because if I can change the heart, they'll all just go away. And that's what's in view here. That's repentance. In that moment, you ch- you changed your mind, you believed, you have faith in in." who he says he is. And in that moment, your heart is sealed by the promised Holy Spirit and he then begins to lead you into good works that he has already prepared for you to do and you're happy to do it. Why? Because you're grateful. Because you've changed your mind. Hmm. So, repent. <sighs> Repentance is the key to the life change that you need it is. Don't let anybody else tell you anything different. C.S. Lewis also said this. I love this quote. I think Amber found this and showed it to me. He said, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvements, right? He is a rebel who must lay down his arms, who must change his mind, in other words. Romans chapter 12. I want to I finish our time today in Romans chapter 12 with that in view. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> I'm actually going to read the NIV version. <clears throat> I usually, I don't usually, but I love the way it reads. And we're not losing anything on this one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. By the way, uh, I beseech you is the way it says in the King James. And that word beseech in that context means Paul's laying his heart out. It means to earnestly beg. So this is for real. This is Paul the Apostle begging brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, (coughs) excuse me, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Underline that if you're an underliner. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But you know what? Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind you could almost say the repentance of your mind, the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing and perfect will. Man, how many conversations have you had with the Lord yourself or with somebody else and they just said, I just want to know God's will for my life. I just wish I knew God's will for my life. And I say, well, open with me to to Romans chapter 12, and I can show you how to figure out what God's will is for your life, all right? Uh, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And then, then you'll be able to figure it out, but not before Transform your mind in view of God's mercy. What is in view of God's mercy? What is mercy? When you offer somebody mercy, you've been offended, you're in the right, yet you show mercy. Where does that come from in you? Heart, right? In view of God's mercy, speaking of the heart condition, he's saying offer service to them. This is the action that comes out of the heart condition, you see. Let's not stop there. Let's keep going. The next verse is the key to all of it. For by grace, by the grace given me, you remember what grace means, The ex- God extending himself to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. What's, what's the point of this? Humility. Simple. Humility. With this new mind, this changed mind, remember where you were, who you were. Don't think of yourself more highly, highly than you ought to. It's humility. We are lost without it, lost without our understanding of our sickness, lost without an understanding of our desperation apart from the gift that has been given. Verse 4, verse 4, and I'm just going to read through 21. I'm just going to read right through. I'll try to, well, no promises. Verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, verse 5, so we we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another as well. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts or rallies in exhorting. He who gives, do it with liberty. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Come on, get happy, church. (laughs) Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another. Be with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Quite a list, I venture to say, impossible to achieve unless we change our minds. But if we do change our minds, he is good to have enabled us to do all of this and more. Bless those who persecute you, verse 14. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Of the same what? Mind. Do not set your mind on high things but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, beloved, Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. How? This doesn't say it all right here. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Only a repented mind and heart accomplishes that. Wait, you mean somebody who's really sorry can do that? See how this is important, guys? This is important. This is foundational. For in doing so, you will keep coals of fire on his head. And finally, last verse. Do not be overcome by, by evil, but overcome evil with Good. Transform your mind. Did you get that out of that passage? In view of God's mercy, which is a heart condition, offer service in action. So much, church, can change in an instant, can it? So much can change in just a moment in our lives. The phone can ring, a car can swerve, right? So much can happen in the scope of eternity in one moment. At the hearing of the gospel preached, does somebody then change their mind? One more from Lewis this morning before we close up here. I love this. He said, we have a strange illusion. We have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. I have heard others, and I have heard myself, recounting cruelties and falsehoods, committed in boyhood as if they were no concern of the present speakers, and even with laughter. You've done, we've all done that to a degree, haven't we? Do you remember when we did this? Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. But mere time does nothing either to the fact or to the guilt of a sin. The guilt is washed out, not by time, but by repentance. Because it's the repentance, church, that when you repent and you believe the blood of the Lamb washes your sin away. Guilt is washed out, not by time, but by repentance and the blood of Christ. If we have repented these early sins... We should remember the price of our forgiveness and be humble. For by the grace given to me, Paul said, I say to every one of you, repent, repent, and believe. It's just that simple. It really is. So simple a child could understand it. Ephesians chapter 8. Chapter 2, verse 8. One more time. One more time. We began the day with it. Let's end the day with it. For by what? Grace. God extending himself to you where you are. Not you to him. Him to you. By grace. You have been saved through what? Faith. And that not of yourselves. Say that. Not of yourselves. Wasn't me. I don't get any credit for this. And I never will. If I start trying to, that's where I get into trouble, all right? Not of yourselves, because why? Say it with me. It is the gift of God. The gift, the gift, guys. Put your trust, put your faith in Him that He is who He says He is and that He will do it for you. He already has. The cross was enough. The empty tomb shows us that the sacrifice was received. Trust that he'll do it for you and that, you know what? What he has said he'll do, he will do. So I'll invite Leith up here this morning and we'll close. And I'm going to ask you a question. Who in here needs to repent? Right? I want to say, get up here. You better make a show of it. Get on your head! You really, really better be sorry, right? Oh, no. In view of what we've talked about this morning, who in here needs to repent for real? Who needs to change their mind? And you know what? It might be, it might be, not so much that you didn't, haven't believed in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus and you need to, you've heard the gospel taught now and you're changing your mind because you believe, right? It might be that you have thought about this in that legalistic way for who knows how long. That sorrow and guilt and regret must be a part of, of salvation, must be a part of my faith and belief, my repenting, if it's real. God never intended you to live in guilt. You've got to know that. Guilt was a gift, a gift. The Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, can, can, convicts you. You therefore feel guilty. You are now inspired to make a change or to take an action that you weren't taking, perhaps then the guilt, you need to drop it. It achieved its purpose. Repent and believe does not mean feel bad, feel guilty, feel sorrowful, and believe. No, it means just what we said it means. See Jesus for who he is. See the sacrifice that he made for what it is. Don't you see how that, that idea so tarnishes the beauty of what he really did. He doesn't need you to do anything. He needs you simply to, to see what he did. Put your faith and trust in him in the finished work of the cross with every eye closed and every head bowed. If you need to change your mind this morning, it's not a work. It is not a work Happens in a moment. If you need to change your heart, if you need to change your actions, if you need to change your life, whatever it is, have you forgotten how desperate you truly are without Him? Whatever it is, if that's you here this morning, just raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He is so good to us, and He loves you so much. He knew what it would cost before he even made you, and he said, it's worth it. Even if it were just the one, he leaves the 99 for the one. That's how much he loves you, church. He'd have it that none be lost, but that all come unto him. If you're here this morning and you want to say a prayer of surrendering your heart and a true prayer of repentance where you change your mind you didn't believe and now you believe, or you want to say that prayer again because maybe your understanding of it has has come into more clarity, just raise your hand. You can put it right back down. And if you're watching online, thank you. And if you're watching online, send us a message so we can pray with you. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you love us. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you're even better to us than we realize. We thank you for your word. We thank you for truth, Lord. we thank you for the sacrifice you made on the cross. We thank you that you have robed us in your righteousness, Lord. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. Bring clarity to those that need clarity. Bring understanding to those who need understanding. Bring healing to those that are broken, Lord Jesus light the path before us. In Jesus' name. Now, if you're here and you're saying that prayer of recommittal, we're all going to say it together in the room. So let's pray this together, church. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. Seal my heart, Lord, with the promise of inheritance of the kingdom. And walk with me all the days of my life. Bring me revelation, knowledge, and the truth of your word. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. It is simple, church. It is beautiful and it is simple. Don't let anyone cheat you. You hear me? Pastor Chad's going to have some words with them, all right? All right. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour his favor out on your lives. May he go before you. May he follow behind you. May he walk beside you. May you prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. Thank you so much.